0: Hey, it's Jacob, host of the podcast. I absolutely love to tell stories, and I feel that when you hear the story of an artist, you can learn to appreciate the art on a deeper level. It's not only the art itself that is great, but it's the journey the artist took to get there as well. What makes the art of today's guest so unique is on the surface, it's pretty simple. Straightforward, it's an astronaut exploring this futuristic, dystopian world. But it's once you dig deeper into what makes the artist who he is that the bigger picture starts to reveal itself, and the art starts to carry a much deeper meaning. Welcome to the My Show Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob, and this is episode four, Scott.
1: Hi, my name is Scott Listfield. I paint astronauts and sometimes dinosaurs. So I grew up about, I don't know, 15 or 20 miles outside of Boston, um, which was a very pleasant place to grow up. It was the type of place that, uh, you know, it was good for my childhood and then you know, I reached a certain age and wanted um, maybe a little bit more out of the world than uh, my quiet suburban life had uh, had led me to that point. But it was it was good for being a child.
0: Do you know what it was you wanted out of life?
1: Well, I think, you know, uh, a lot of people growing up, especially people of my generation growing up in the suburbs, there was... Uh, It was, it was a safe place. It was a friendly place. It was great for, uh, you know, riding bikes and wandering in the forest and, and watching, um, cartoons, which is, uh, were most of my favorite activities. I was like, well, I'm drawing, I like to draw. Um, but you know, once you start reaching, uh, teenage years, uh, and you start, you know, you start taking the train or whatever into the city, um, and you kind of realize there's a larger world out there to see. Um, I think I wanted to expand my horizons a little bit beyond what my small town could offer.
0: Do you remember the first time you started to be kind of creative? And I know it wasn't probably making art per se, but just being creative, drawing or just anything.
1: Yeah, so I, um, I, I've i always drawn. I can't remember a time in my life where I wasn't drawing. Um, only, I guess, you know, when I was younger, I considered it doodling maybe or or, or just sort of uh, farting around. Like I didn't, there was no seriousness to it. There was, I, I, like you said, I didn't consider it art making in any shape or form. Um, and I didn't even consider it creative. I guess, I guess maybe you would have said, oh, that's a creative child over there. Um, you know, drawing, you know, uh, uh donkeys and tanks and, and I don't, I don't know, you know, missiles. And I, I, I wasn't really that creative. I just liked the draw. Um, it was a thing I found enjoyable to do um, amongst, you know, watching cartoons and, um, you know, wandering in the woods with my friends and um, probably, you know, throwing at rocks at things we shouldn't have been throwing rocks at. Um, it just was sort of part of the, the you know, I, I would sit and watch Transformers cartoons and then go draw Transformers, um, you know, shooting each other in in, in in their own groins or whatever. And that just seemed like a a natural extension of what I was doing and watching, um, not with any sort of maturity or guidance or anything. Um, it, it was, it wasn't until much, much later in life that it started becoming a more serious thing, I
0: guess. Or the other things you were getting into uh, at that time in your life. Do you have any memories that uh, that really stick out to you?
1: Oh, special memories. Um. You know, I, I there's not like single events from my childhood that really pop out. It's more. I mean, I had a happy childhood Like I didn't have. And, and for that, I, I feel fortunate and lucky. I had a, I had a nice family, um, but I don't have a real strong memory. I just have this like vague sense of like watching He man and watching G.I. Joe. I, I hate this sentence. Like my childhood was all watching TV, but I watched a lot of TV. Which, you know, in a weird way has informed my what I do now in my artwork. But um, and I remember like walking in the woods with friends and I remember playing in my backyard and uh, like, you know, being bad at sports. And my dad tried to make me less bad at sports by teaching me how to play baseball. But it didn't really work that great. And uh, You know, I had a lot of friends who lived in the neighborhoods and we'd bike to each other's houses. And uh, it was kind of it was kind of like. um I grew up in the 80s, so it's kind of like Stranger Things, only without any of the cool, weird, um, spooky stuff that happens in Stranger Things. Like Just like dorky kids uh, uh, riding their bikes with ball haircuts. Um, Yeah, just like if you took the cool parts out of Stranger Things.
0: Growing up, Scott was a kid who would keep to himself. Who would sometimes feel like he had been left behind while everyone else was growing up. And he recalls one memory in particular of being in seventh grade and the school having a talent show. During the talent show, these girls got up on stage, and they danced to Belle Biv DeVoe's song, Poison. Uh Scott remembers the girls having crimped hair and crop tops while he was sitting there watching in his baby chicken sweater his mom had gotten him. He would soon start to grow up and find his place in the world.
1: Um, I was, in high school, I was kind of caught between a couple worlds because I was... You know, in some of the nerdier school classes, but then I would spend all my free time in the art room, uh, which was more of a mixture of, uh, you know, it was, it was sort of a, a melting pot of kids from all sorts of backgrounds. And, you know, there were, there were kids, uh, you know, who were active in the in the drug scene um, in, in the art room. And then there were kids like me who were much more quiet. And I, I kind of had to bridge um, a bunch of different worlds by being there.
0: And do you remember what you wanted to be when you grew up?
1: So the, the, the story I like to tell, which is true, is that the very first thing I wanted to be when I was a little kid is an astronaut, uh, which is a great story to tell because now I paint astronauts. Um, but the thing is, like every kid of my generation wanted to be an astronaut. It was just sort of a thing we all wanted to do. It was not I mean, some of us wanted to be firemen or policemen, too, I guess, or superheroes, probably. Um, but I wanted to be an astronaut when I was like five. Um, now, by the time I was maybe eight or nine, I think I, I realized that like, I got kind of motion sick on, on like, like low-grade kiddie carnival rides. So maybe being an astronaut was, was not really in my future. Um, so I, I wanted to be an astronaut when I was really young. And then I, I don't think, I think the career, the aspirational career thing was just an empty void from like age five until age uh, 18. Like I, just, I had no real idea what it was I wanted to do or be. I just knew there were, there were some things I, like, like drawing was and dueling was a thing I always liked doing, um, but at no point during that time period did I consider that a potential career. Um, I mean, maybe going into animation or cartooning or something was something that I kicked around a little bit, but I didn't even know how that would have functioned. So I, I, did, I just, I didn't really have any sort of idea about where my future lay. Um, during that time period.
0: So, once you graduated high school, what was the uh, what was the plan? What were you going to do?
1: Yeah, well, so I, I knew I was going to college. that um, had uh, my, my parents wanted me to go to college, and I, you know, got good enough grades to get into a good school. So I, I knew I was going to college. So that was just kind of the goal: was to get to college, and then uh, question mark question mark figure it out, I guess. And so I, I went off to college with having no. Like absolutely no idea what it was I was going to study or be, and I certainly didn't think art was going to be the thing. But when I got to when I got to college, I had I had always taken art. Like art had always been a class I took all through high school, all through elementary school. And I was sitting there looking at all the different courses, and and I thought to myself, I you know I don't mind taking these classes. Some of them seem more interesting than others. But the thought of doing all this and not taking an art class seemed kind of oppressive and dull to me. So I signed up for an art class my very first semester in school. But I, I got there and day one, um, we were using um, charcoal to draw um, and like big pieces of paper. And and I had been like literally using markers and crayons up until that point. Nothing against markers and crayons, but um, like charcoal seemed like a very grown up adult way to draw. And I had absolutely no idea what I was doing with it. Um, and, I, and I felt very, overwhelmed, and, and we were, you know, drawing still lifes, and I wasn't very good at it, um, and I felt very lost and just uncertain in the class.
0: Scott didn't take the art class too seriously. I mean, for him, it was more of just for fun in between the actual work he had to do, uh, but soon his perception started to change.
1: I, I went there late one night, and I realized almost the entire class was in there drawing late the night before, doing their work, like, very seriously, and it just the same stupid hindsight, but it sort of clicked like, oh, this is, I should be taking this as seriously as any of the other things that I'm studying here. This is not a joke class. I should be drawing the way I'm doing research papers and everything, and all these people are very serious about it, um, and that's why I suck at drawing in charcoal, and they're a lot better at it. Um, so it was in that very first drawing class that, that um, you know, and there was a really good sense of camaraderie in the class, and it was, there was a lot of really talented people in the class that I could kind of look up to, um, and so right in that moment, I was like, okay, I'm taking this seriously. And by the end of that class, I was, um, at least better at drawing in charcoal. Um, and by the end of my first year in college, I kind of decided I wanted to major in art. Um, and the next year I took my first painting class and now was around the time where I thought, you know, I, this might be something I want to do with my life. So it, it very quickly, even though it had always been something I loved doing it, it, pretty quickly changed from, hey, this is a jokey thing I don't take seriously to, oh, hey, I think I might actually be serious about this.
0: During his early 20s, Scott began to desire to travel outside of his community of college and his small town he grew up in, and he wanted to go see the world. Yeah,
1: so I, I like I said, I had kind of a sheltered childhood, and even my college education was pretty sheltered. I, I was living in a small town in New Hampshire, and, and I had no, I didn't have that many you know, I, I didn't have a strong desire to go see the world until all of a sudden something clicked. I was about twenty, and I don't know why that is, but I think a bunch of my friends grad were a couple years older than me and graduated, moved to New York. I started visiting them and, and and exploring the world a little bit. All of a sudden, the confines of my life felt very tight. Um, and so, my senior year in college, I just up and decided I was going to um, study in Italy for a semester, which Um, You weren't really supposed to do your senior year, but I kind of petitioned the college, like, hey, I want to do this. And they were like, oh, okay, sure, whatever. Um, So my senior year in college, my first semester, um, I studied in Italy uh, and spent a bunch of time kind of traveling around Europe, uh, you know, mostly on my own.
0: How was your time in Italy?
1: For me, it was a really mind-expanding experience in every way, shape, or form, in in a lot of ways because I – you know, in the way that a cocky American 20 uh, year old think that they're very European, despite never having like left America, I thought I had very European sensibilities. Like I liked European music and I liked European painting. And I, I just thought, oh, I'm culturally more European. And then I got to Italy and immediately realized what, what kind of a dumb American I was. Um, so it was like, it was kind of like being thrown into the deep end of, of like, I didn't speak the language and I didn't how to navigate the city and I didn't even know how to, like, prepare food for myself. Um, it was it was really a cultural experience. And I thought I was going to do great there, and I really kind of floundered. Um, I was living in Florence, which in, in many ways is a, a medieval city still. Uh, and it's very crowded and, and kind of a little bit claustrophobic. The streets are really narrow. And, and I found myself more homesick than I thought I was going to be at first. And then, you know, I... I slowly got used to it and you know made some friends and Italy itself was fantastic seeing all the things but the the best part was um and again I got there and I was a very at that point I was a very serious art student. so I was like I'm gonna paint and I I spent a lot of time painting and then about halfway through the program I was like this is stupid I'm just gonna train around Europe and I I kind of I mean I didn't stop going to my classes but I kind of started taking them way less seriously and I would uh, uh, you know, I bought a URL pass and just, you know, whenever I could, I would just hop a train to uh, wherever. And it seems, I, you know, now this seems foreign to me that I could do this, but I would just, you know, hop a train alone at night, sleep on the train, arrive in some city where I didn't speak the language. I didn't even know, like, how much the currency was, you know, like, it was like, you know, how, how much is the, this is before euros. I was like, I don't know how much uh, money in Germany is, and I like, I didn't know where I was sleeping that night and I would just, you know, hit the city and try to figure it all out um, and end up sleeping, you know, in some, uh, some $10 night hostel. And I would just do that for, you know, like a couple weeks at a go. And I'm glad I did it at that time because I, I would be terrified to do it now. Too old for that.
0: Were you nervous at all to be doing something so unplanned? So just spur of the moment sort of thing?
1: it was it was it was kind of terrifying and fun and and i again i i realized as i'm saying this and i thought you know i was in a sort of privileged position to be able to not everyone can just fart around europe for a couple of months when they're in their 20s i was very lucky to be able to do that but it was also the perfect time because i had i had no responsibilities and no uh, i had no job i had no girlfriend i had no you know my, my i just had my parents and they were like do whatever um so it was just, it was like the perfect time in my life to be um, un- untethered to anything and be able to do that. So I'm glad I, I took that time in my life to do it.
0: Do you have any crazy stories from your time traveling in Europe?
1: I wasn't the type of, I don't have stories about like doing cocaine in, in Prague at three in the morning or anything like that. Like my stories are not that cool. Like, like the wildest story I have is like falling asleep on a train on my way to amsterdam and waking up and like my bag was gone and and like trying to figure out what the hell to do with myself
0: you didn't run across any interesting people or anything
1: i ran across a lot of interesting people but, but um the type of people you meet at like the cheapest hostel in venice like it was not you know i wasn't like partying with york in 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 iceland or anything like that like you know i was i was mostly hanging out with like weird Australians who are also traveling, backpacking through Europe. And I would, you know, we'd spend three nights in a hostel and then I would never see or hear from them ever again. It was like that type of traveling you 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 can do uh, when you're that age.
0: So around this time, what was your art looking like? What kind of art were you making?
1: And everyone who's gone to art school or has done an art program, um, there's always at least one or two, um, they're usually guys, although sometimes it's maybe girls, uh, who... do nothing but self-portraits to like a really creepy degree. Like there's always one of them in every art art program. And I that was me. I was that I was that guy. I I um certainly like by the time I graduated, like my last couple years in in college, I was mostly painting self-portraits. And I was I was doing some sculpture and stuff too, but it was mostly self-portraits. It was it was unhealthy. But I just but I kind of get it at the time because I was you know you, you have to make art about what you know uh and it's I was, although the, the irony is i didn't know myself at all at that point but i was so up until that point i had lived such a sheltered kind of closed life and all i kind of could see was i was kind of very trapped in my own head kind of made sense that i would paint myself and it was really that process of exploring the world it like very directly going out into the world and then coming back is what led me to um literally make a hard break and say, I don't want to paint myself anymore. I want to, I want to make paintings that aren't about me looking inward, but are about me looking outward to the rest of the world and kind of seeing what's going on.
0: So what was your plan for your art career? uh, Once you got back and you graduated college.
1: That's, that's a good question. So I, uh, um, my professors at at this school were all, and I'm not gonna, I'm not trying to like, um, um, as, uh, dispersions on them, or say bad things about them. They were—they were very good for what they, what they were supposed to do. But they grew up in a kind of different generation. They were mostly—they uh, mostly came of age in the '70s, um, and and they came out of the school of kind of abstract expressionism. Um, and their 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 advice to me was uh, move to New York because I went to school in New Hampshire. Um, so move to New York. Um. Uh, once you get there, you can, um, uh, find an unheated warehouse space or something for like $50 a month, uh, where you can, um, where you'll be able to paint, uh, to your heart's content, these large canvases, and then maybe you can get like a part-time job moving furniture or something. Uh, and you do that for uh, a couple years, then you can get your MFA and then you immediately get a tenure track position, uh, at a, at a established school. And that's your life for the next 40 years. Um, Now I hope anyone listening to this is kind of wondering uh, why this seems like horrible advice um, because it's, because it's horrible advice. Uh, And again, no offense to my professors, but when they came of age in the seventies, that was a thing you could do. Uh, When I graduated from college, like no part of that existed anymore or was even like feasible. Like I tried moving to New York and it was like insanely expensive. uh, And and I couldn't even find like a closet to live in, Never mind a warehouse to paint in uh, and, and tenure track. You know, teaching positions didn't exist. And going to a school to get an MFA was prohibitively expensive and didn't guarantee anything. And just that whole that whole lifestyle was gone. But it didn't exist when I graduated college. So I kind of um, uh, tripped and fell on my face right out of college, which, you know, I think most people do and is is kind of fine. Um, So that was that was that was my plan, which was turns out was a bad plan uh and i failed at it um and so what i ended up doing is regrouping after you know a few months trying to move to new york i ended up um living in my parents house which again a lot of us end up doing um and i kind of refocused and i decided to uh, get a get a day job uh, which after some um kicking around some ideas i ended up getting a job as a designer um which ended up being a good job because it, it. it was creative enough, but allowed me a little bit of flexibility to paint um, uh, in my free time. So at any rate, my, my plan failed um, spectacularly. But it ended up, in, in a way, a roundabout way, it ended up working out okay for me.
0: By this point in the episode, you should be getting a better view of what makes Scott's work so great. His work is not only about some cool astronaut, but. But the work is a direct inspiration of his life's dreams, aspirations, along with his childhood influences and his personal travels. After graduating college, failing to move to New York and being back in his childhood home, Scott started to put the art on the back burner as real life started to take hold. So, where did you move after living at your parents' house for a while?
1: And again, no offense to the small town I grew up in, but it it just felt very small and closed, and I kind of shut myself off the world during that time. Well I did, I was taking classes in Boston. So I'd commute into Boston every day to take classes. Um and so when I when I when I uh moved out, I I I moved to from my parents' house to to a very, very tiny apartment in Boston. So I was at least living in a city. Um that's and that's where I and at the time I had met my girlfriend who's now my wife. So I had something very tangible and real sort of tethering me to Boston. Um, so it's, it kind of ended up, it was sort of default sort of by plan and just sort of happened that way.
0: Do you remember feeling happy at this time in your life?
1: Uh, that's a good question. Um, that's such a, it's such an unsettled part of time in my life. And I, I'm sure this is true of everybody that time when you're in your early twenties, uh, is probably like the most, like college was college was in some ways an extension to my childhood a little bit. Um, it was this sort of unreal fantasy land where you just sort of, you, you take classes and hang out with your friends and do whatever the heck you want to do. Um, and that time, that adult, that time in your twenties, you, you're trying to figure out how to be an adult, but you're living in like a really crappy apartment. It wasn't crappy. I'm sorry to my, my past landlords. It was a perfectly fine apartment, but it was very tiny and it was, you know, modestly priced and had a bit of an ant problem. And, you know, it wasn't that warm in the winter time. At any rate, I, I don't, I don't think I I don't look back at that time and think I was like happy because it was such a I was I knew I was uh, any time in your life where you're aspiring to something beyond what you can kind of do. And this is true if you're trying to be an artist and you're try, even if you're just trying to make art and you you're fighting up against that wall like you're not as good as you need to be to do what you want to do. Um, it's a frustrating time. And that was a frustrating time for me because I kind of at a bit of a vision for what i wanted my life to, to be like and i had no idea how to actually get from a to b and i just kind of stumbled around a lot um i mean at the same time i had met my girlfriend and, and i was very happy to be in that relationship and i was happy to you know i had a, i had a job that i liked um but i said that period of time in my early 20s was the time in my life where i was least Doing or I was you know I spent least time doing artwork um uh, I was making very few paintings during that time like my day job and just like struggling with how to be an, an adult was was taking up most of my time um so yeah I'd, I'd say that was that was kind of a frustrating time for me
0: so what was your dream now because I know you, you were hoping to move to New York and do the art what was your dream at this time
1: well, so when I graduated from college, I wanted to go to New York and be a famous artist, which, you know, is ha ha ha, famous artist. But, you know, um, that's, you know, when you're 21, that's what you want to do. Uh, and I, even at 21, I probably knew that was a little bit silly. But, I, but in the back of my mind, I kind of, I definitely wanted that. Um, and by the time I was like 25, you know, I had carved out a nice career for myself. I was living in a slightly better apartment. You know, I, I had a long-standing relationship at that point. Um, but the art thing had taken like a real backseat, like, you know, to the point where if I was being honest with, with myself, art was you know, maybe a hobby at best at that point in my life. Um, and that to me was like, even though I was like happy with how my life was turning out and like if I had never gone back to art and just continued to be a designer, uh, I, like I, I would have lived a perfectly fine life. But I... I felt that tangible feeling of like, this is not, I'm, I'm, you know, you you start to be nostalgic for the the, um, optimism you had when you were 21 and you think like, I can go conquer the art world. Um, No, it's, and it's, and it's, you have to grapple with that idea of, you know, either letting your dreams go or admitting to yourself that your dreams were realistic or that you were just weren't the person to follow through on that particular dream and that's you know that's that's okay um if you're pursuing something else that you enjoy doing um but i I had like a real hard line moment where i kind of had to come to grips with either letting go of that dream or or doubling down and pursuing it um and so for that that sort of five-year time period twenties is when i and I let the dream of art go for a while and then eventually came back to it.
0: Do you remember the exact moment that you decided to go back and, and double down on the art and try to make that a thing again?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know if this, is, I, again, I, I don't know if everybody has these sort of moments, these sort of, touch, I guess everybody has touchstones in their life, but for me, it was very clear. And I'm, I'm sorry, I'm gonna get serious first. I'm not usually a super serious person. I'm gonna get serious for half a second. Uh, my junior year in college, Um, When I was sort of getting real serious about being painting, I met a a friend, a very good friend of mine. His name was Chris Ostoy. He was a couple years older than me in college. He had um, he had kind of walked away from college for like a year and really like lived the life that I I kind of thought I wanted to. He'd explore, you know, just went to New York for a while, studied in New York, spent some time in California where he grew up, did some art stuff. so he was a very worldly, smart guy. And he came back into my life. And I, I barely knew him. And literally the first day of my junior year in college, he walked up to me. And he saw me reading a Cezanne book, which is like super art nerdy. Like literally just walked up and was like, hey, we're going to be friends. And we were inseparable that whole year. And he was, he, he was, like really, he was a friend, but he was almost more like a mentor to me. He was a couple years older. And he just he knew so much more about art than I did. And he taught me so much. And we literally, like every morning would get up Go, we'd have breakfast together. We spent all day like painting together. I mean, he took some other classes, but you know, we'd spent almost every waking hour with each other for like the entire school year. And he moved to New York, and then I would go visit him occasionally, and he kind of drifted out of my life as these things happened. Um, but he was still kind of a very influential figure for me. And and I, you know, when we were, uh, during that time period, I thought we were both going to move to New York and kind of, you know, we, we joked about it, but we were also serious about like going to New York and conquering the art world and, you know, being art stars and whatever, whatever. And we knew it was an unrealistic goal, but we both kind of thought we'd do it. Um, and then, you know, you know, fast forward to, you know, five or six years later, which at that, at that age feels like forever. Um, and, you know, he had drifted out of my life and neither one of us were really pursuing art in any real serious fashion, I was making, you know, a, a couple of these weird astronaut paintings a year, and that was about it. Uh, at any rate, he, he um out of the blue he kind of reached out to me and sent these very strange emails, and I didn't really know what was up with his in his life at that point. I'd heard he had moved to the West Coast and was like going to law school, but then had dropped out. I didn't I didn't really know what was going on. And, he had, and I got these sort of very cryptic emails that from him that didn't really make a ton of sense. Uh, and I replied to them. And then I heard, I don't know, maybe a month or two later, um, from a friend of a friend, I found out he had passed away. Um, he, had, he, had, uh, he had died. And I was, you know, I was maybe 25 at the time. And I guess you could say that I was lucky to live to be 25 and not really experience that kind of kind of loss. A lot of people experienced that earlier in their life. But, um, you know, unsurprisingly, it hit me very hard, even though he was, I was not super close to him these last those last few years um i was sad because he was such an important figure in my life and i was also sad because it, it you know it it the first time it made me grapple with my own sense of mortality and my, my own you know what what if how would i feel if i had you know if this was it for me you know have i accomplished what i want to accomplish and i i looked back and i said well you know the two of us were supposed to be you know go to new york and and become artists, and neither one of us had done that. And now, it was kind of on me to do that. Like, if it, like he couldn't do that anymore. So, literally, I getting that email in my inbox from some friend of a friend saying that my friend Chris had died. I, I was at my job at the time. It was like a late afternoon in November. I remember just like being like, I need to go now. And I just walked out of my job. And it was cold, and I wasn't wearing a jacket. And I just walked for like five miles. Uh, in the cold and then came home and said, okay, that's it. I'm going to, I'm going to be serious about this art thing. This, this needs to happen. And so that was, for me, that was the line um, in the sand that made me uh, decide, like, let's give this a try. I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe nothing, but I'm going to try to at least be serious about it and make some paintings.
0: And do you feel like he would be proud of you and where you've gotten so far?
1: I hope so. Uh, He was a very, Funny guy in some I'm sure if he were around, he would give me shit for something that I was doing. Like he'd make fun of me in some kind of way. Um, but I do, I do think he'd be proud. And, um, uh, you know, I think pe- people sometimes notice this in my work. Um, so this friend of mine, his last name is Ostoy, O S T O J, which is a very distinctive last name uh and i started very early on i started painting anytime there's a little bit of graffiti anywhere in the, in one of my paintings i would paint his name ostoy as a graffiti tag i started doing it as like i i actually i thought he would get a kick out of this idea that he's living on in this world i'm creating as a, as a like a tagger not not as like a famous artist this is a guy who like just leaves his name wherever one you know uh you know. And I I thought he would kind of get a kick. And I think he would, I think he would, I can picture him in my mind kind of laughing at that. And it started as a small thing and it's become a much bigger thing. I do on every painting, but in a lot of my paintings, it's it's there over and over and over again. And I did it mostly for myself, just as a kind of, like as a reminder of why I'm doing this And, and as a way for him to kind of live on in my, like very tangibly live on in my work. Um, and it's become a thing that people actually notice and ask about, and, and when regularly. And people ask about it. It allows me to tell the story of my friend Chris and how important he was to me, and how he does live on in my work. And you know, maybe this sounds a little New Agey or corny, like you know, but in a very real way in my mind, he does live on. I mean, I does live on in my work, um, and I get to tell the story of him over and over again to strangers who've never met him. They get to hear about his life and about how he influenced me. Um, And, you know, would I prefer him still to be around? Yes, obviously. But um, it's, it's taken, it's from, it, it took me a long time to get to this point, but it's taken a kind of one of the sadder turns in my life and it's turned around into something that um, continues to inspire me today. And has really been one of the primary motivating forces for me to be an artist. And it's kind of what, me today. So I, you know, I don't know. He, he was not an earnest, serious person. So he probably would have uh, laughed at the, the last half of what I just said. But I, I do think, um, I don't know, I'd like, to, I'd like to think that he would like the idea of the fact that he does serve as a continual point of inspiration to me in my work, even today, 20 years later.
0: A combination of events led to Scott taking art more seriously and chasing his dreams once again. He was always a dreamer seeking adventure, and the art was a way for him to understand himself and the world around him. The passing of his friend had pushed him to refocus on this dream that they had shared together. But one problem persisted. Now, how was Scott going to make narrative work instead of self-portraits?
1: I feel lucky that I've had these couple moments. Well, none of them are great moments, but I've had these couple moments in my life that were really like kind of, kind of just like a... Almost like a textbook, like a light bulb goes off in your head, like a Eureka moment, right? Like one of those quintessential like thought pops in your head and like bam, that's it. And that's what I spent the next 20 years of my life doing. Um, uh, I was also having this experience that I, I've since found out is pretty common, where when you live abroad in a country that's not your own, uh, and it all feels kind of foreign and weird to you, and then you come back home, you expect to feel kind of like, oh, now I'm at home. Things will feel normal again. Uh, and actually they don't you still feel like really out of sorts and so you get this weird feeling where like you're in your own culture but it doesn't feel like your culture anymore I was feeling that pretty hard at this time especially mixed with you know having a job and doing all these things that I was not good at and so all this was like rolling around in my head and I wanted to make these paintings that felt like little short stories little vignettes about how weird the contemporary world around me felt and how of alien I felt within it I knew I wanted to have a protagonist in these paintings. I knew I didn't want it to be me.
0: It's at this moment that Scott finally figured out how he was gonna make narrative works and it would change his art career for the next 20 years.
1: Um, And it was right at that moment, I guess it's just sort of fortuitous, at that moment that I watched 2001 for the first time in my little tiny apartment. I I hope most people have seen it. It's a very strange movie. It's a very artistic movie and it's a very weird movie. um, Not all of it makes sense, but The part that really resonated with me watching this movie was I was watching the movie 2001, almost in the actual year 2001. Um, And what dawned on me is I had grown up watching all these shows and cartoons and movies and things where the future was always the 21st century. And the future was usually represented by this sort of like space age notion, science fiction of the future. Like the future was to me was robots and flying cars and jetpacks and living on the moon. And here I was, you know, in the actual year 2001 or just about living in like a really tiny apartment, watching the movie 2001 on like that I had rented from the video store on like a TV that's like the size of, you know, you know, like a ham sandwich Um, and and taking the bus. Like anyway, the future that I grew up into turned out to not at all be the future I like my whole childhood I thought I was going to live in. Um, and the reality of the actual future I was living in just hit me like a ton of bricks right in that moment. Uh, and I kind of realized that I thought back, you know, like I said, when I was a kid, I wanted to be an astronaut. And this figure of the astronaut in 2001, not that his life was great, but, you know, all the things that that fictional astronaut got to do and, and in the fictional 2001 and all the things that I was not doing in the real 2001, all that kind of dawned on me in this one sort of aha, eureka moment. And I realized that this character I wanted to be in my work and explore this world was, was this astronaut figure kind of from the fictional 2001, from the, the future that I thought I was going to get, um, you know, growing up, the, the future that I thought I would live in. This astronaut be the character who would explore these sort of weird worlds. And so, yes, the, the, watching the movie 2001 for the first time really kind of it had a really profound effect on me. I had no idea I'd still be doing this 20 years later, like absolutely no idea. So it was... Kind of an accidentally brilliant idea. Um, it was only much later I kind of realized the kind of nuances of of what I could do with this astronaut character.
0: So you started to paint this new style, and what was your goal? What, what were you hoping to achieve?
1: Yeah, well, so thankfully, by the time I got to like my mid twenties, I was a little more realistic about what you know the art world was and about you know what making it really meant, and so. When I, when I reached, when I had that sort of moment where I said, you know, okay, I'm going to take art seriously again. I'm going to make some paintings. My goal was I'm going to get together enough paintings to have a show. It's not I'm going to be a famous artist. It wasn't even I'm going to get a gallery show. It was, it was just, you know, after five years of painting astronauts, I had maybe like eight or nine of these paintings, which was not even enough for a full show. Uh, and that to me was like a little embarrassing. Like I can't even have, a, like even if somebody offered me a show, I couldn't have a show by hard work and dumb luck you put yourself in a position to succeed and maybe it happens or maybe it doesn't but it if you're kind of ready for it at least if it happens you're kind of there and so i had i pulled together enough paintings for sure and i you know in the meantime i showed like in a coffee shop i showed in like a little community center i started getting my work out there like it had it literally at the time i was painting in a walk-in closet so literally my paintings didn't leave a closet before that nobody was seeing them um was not putting them online or anywhere. So I started getting him out in the world um, and I pulled together enough paintings for a show. And as these things happen, if you're if you're lucky and you get yourself out there, I kind of knew a guy who knew a guy who was uh, opening up a gallery in Boston. And at the last minute, he had somebody lined up for his opening show. And I don't know. They, they dropped out because artists are generally flakes and these things happen. And he liked my work. And so through this friend, he reached out and said, hey, I, this is last minute, but you know. Uh, I've got an opening. Can you show some paintings in my new gallery? And because I was ready and had made the paint made enough paintings, I said, yes, sure, here you go. Uh, and so I had my very first gallery show.
0: It's good to prepare for what life may throw at you. And in Scott's case, after painting for five years, it had all paid off. The show didn't go fantastic, but it was just the start of more opportunities moving forward.
1: Even though I didn't know how to build an art career, I kind of thought, well, this this kind of makes some sense. I feel like I'm on an upward trajectory here, I assume it'll just keep going up and up and up until I'm—I don't know—wherever. I, you know, maybe not famous artist, but you know, I'll have a successful career.
0: Soon, the 2008 recession would hit, and it was leaving Scott's art career out in the cold.
1: Thankfully, my day job um, survived the recession, but my art career just got wiped out. Um, every every single gallery I would worked with up until that point went out of business uh, in 2000 between 2008 and 2010. Uh, and I really, um, had to go completely back to the drawing board, which was, you know, it, I think we've all, it was a good life lesson. We've all been there, but it was endlessly frustrating to put that much time and effort into it and to kind of feel like it was almost all for naught. Um, and that was another one of those moments, which was a really kind of like a real turning point in my career. And that. That was the first time in a while where I kind of really had like real thoughts, like, should I even still be doing this anymore? Should I stop painting astronauts? Should I stop painting at all?
0: As we know now, Scott is not the kind of guy to give up.
1: So I had this real sort of crisis of confidence for like a full year or two. And what I eventually realized is, one, I'm very stubborn, so I wanted to keep doing it. Uh, and, and two, uh, like after, even after all of it, I enjoyed doing it and I still felt like I had things to say. And I was just starting to get kind of not good. At, I was getting better at it. Um, and so I just was like, screw it. I'm going to do these, make these paintings because I want to. Uh, and to be honest, that was like actually the best thing I, I, I ever learned, you know, out of, out, of any, out of any of this is that no matter what happens, you have to make the artwork primarily because you want to do it and you love doing it and you feel driven to do it. And um, if you're relying on external motivators, you're eventually going to be disappointed in one way or another. That really sort of changed things for me. And, and in a lot of ways, even though I've, I've been lucky to have a lot of success in recent years, I still have that mindset that I did back then when like, nobody gave a crap about my paintings. And I, I had to be the one to be like, yes, I'm doing this. It feels important to me. I feel like I have something to say. Uh, and that's, I don't know, that's continuing to drive me ever since.
0: He had to start back at the bottom of the hill and figure out new ways to get shows. It was a lot harder back then because we didn't have social media as we do now, like Instagram. But luckily, Scott is a very resourceful guy.
1: Yeah, so I kept painting, and I, this is a very 2008 thing to do. I earned CDs with my artwork on it and like made like a CD cover and put it in a nice sleeve and mailed it. Literally 50 of them. I mailed them to galleries all over the country. Uh... And I got one out of the 50, I got one email response from a gallery somewhere that said, oh, hey, thanks for sending that CD. We took a look at it. Unfortunately, our gallery just went out of business. That was it. It was like deafening silence, like crickets, tumbleweeds, whatever you want to say.
0: Okay, so that didn't go as planned. Time for him to try another idea. Because sometimes it's best to just throw enough things at the wall that something sticks.
1: Blogs were becoming like a big thing. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to write to every single art blog I could find. I'm going to get my artwork wherever I can, get. like literally just, any, I just want eyeballs on my work. I don't care where. Um, and so I'd sent endless emails to anybody I could find who had a blog. Um, and they started posting my work. And then I started working with literally just any opportunity I could find online where they would show my work anywhere. Um, I started working with this group that was at the time, was run through Gawker. Um, but they were, buying, they were buying up like unused ad space online and just putting art there, which was a cool idea, which unfortunately nobody does anymore because there is no unsold art ad space anymore. But it was a very cool thing. And so my artwork would pop up like an ad space on, you know, if you had to visit some website. Um, and I slowly started building like an online presence at a time where that was a little bit harder to do than it is. So I started building up like people started recognizing my work online. Um which did not lead immediately to art sales. Um, well I was, at the time I was starting to do digital prints too, which did lead at least to some money coming. People were buying prints of my work. What happened is what I eventually did is, I think it was like 2010, I reached out to a gallery in Los Angeles called Gallery 1988, um, who had been around for a little while, and who I had heard of, but didn't know a lot about. Um, and they do mostly stuff, they do a lot of pop culture themed artwork. They're like right in Hollywood and they do They'll, they'll partner with like a movie studio or something and do uh, a show based on, you know, a movie coming out or they'll do, you know, a show called like the 80s. And it's all about like gremlins and back to the future. And I was like, well, my work isn't like strictly about this stuff, but it's like partly about that kind of stuff. And so I reached out to them um, after like two years of getting rejection notices and, and nothing else. And they wrote back like immediately and they said, hey, we've seen your work like all over online. Uh, we'd love to have you be in a show. Uh, And I was like, holy crap, that worked. My strategy of getting my work, like literally in any available square inch of online space, uh, actually paid off. You know, I was living in Boston at the time. There was no way they had ever seen my work in person. Uh, And so they invited me to be in this, like, big group show they do every year. And I sent sent them some paintings. And the first batch of them didn't do that well because I didn't know, like, what the best – like, they – They sold mostly smaller works and prints. I sent them these giant paintings that were too expensive, and they didn't sell. They invited me to do another show, and I kind of learned my lesson. I sent them some small paintings, and they sold. And they uh, invited me to another show, and they sold. And uh, then they invited me to like a two-person show, and and much to my surprise, they sold like most of the work out of the show. You know, in in a large part. I mean, a lot of it was because of them, but in large part because I had been really working on my own craft and also working on, you know, finding my audience online. Um, And it's, you know, once you start selling some paintings, if you're lucky enough to do that, you know, other galleries will will notice that. Uh, From there, it was slow but steady. I kind of rebuilt my art career.
0: Um, Scott's like me and the way he loves to tell stories, and that is the core reason his work connects to as many people as it does, and has allowed him to grow and continue to tell his stories 20 years later.
1: Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I early in my career, I borrowed a lot of references that were kind of knowing things that movie, you know, from movies and TV shows that people would get to kind of loop them into my stories. It's kind of a hook. Um, but in later years, I've kind of realized, and then, I don't know, this is advice I tell younger artists. I, I don't even know if it's true, but this is what I tell them. Uh, um, that if you have like something like a story to tell and you feel like really really strongly about it and like it really resonates with you there's no there's no way that you're the only one who feels that way in the world right like there's no way that if, if you do something that's really unique to you and it feels very personal and tells like a story that's really that, that resonates with you that that's that's something that other people will catch on to at least I, that's something I like to believe I, whether it's true or not I don't know Um, but I feel like it's been true of my career that, you know, I've told stories that, that I feel really important, like really, really strongly about and, and I found other people who do. Um, so I don't know, that's how I'm, that's how I'm I'm rolling with that for now. We'll see how long it lasts.
0: Hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. If so, please share it with anyone you think would appreciate it. Our goal is to listen to these individuals in the art world stories and find the lessons within that we can all learn from. This podcast was recorded and edited by me, Jacob Johnson, and the music featured in this episode is from Q Shop, C-U-E-Shop.com. You can find all the links to our content and our guests in the episode description. This is the Myer's Podcast, and I will see you in the next episode.